Thank you, Angela, for that children's sermon. We're always so grateful for you and for all of our volunteers who bring us the ministry to children every week. I know the children appreciate it and the adults do too. So thank you so much for that. And would you all please pray with me as we get started this morning? Father, it is our privilege to gather together, even virtually, to worship, to sing your praises, and also to gather around the Word of God. Lord, I ask that you would open up our minds, our hearts, and our ears to hear what it is you have to say to us this morning. Speak, O Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. Well, today is the first Sunday of Advent, the first Sunday in the church's year. And this is the season where we begin to prepare spiritually for celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ on Christmas Day. And in the spirit of Advent, the title of our sermon series is All I Want for Christmas is Jesus. In a season where we've had so many disappointments, it's good to remember that really all that we need and all that our souls truly long for can be found in Jesus Christ. That's the hope that we have. And so we're going to be looking at different scriptures from the lectionary text to focus on the grace and the hope and the mercy, the peace that we have in Jesus Christ. And this really is a strange holiday season. You know, we just had Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving dinner? Uh, I imagine it was uh, different this year than it normally is. You know, for me, I normally get to see either my parents or my in-laws or extended family on Thanksgiving, and uh, I didn't get to do that this year, and that was sad. That was sad for me, and I kind of found it ironic that a day filled with so many disappointments for so many people was called Thanksgiving. I mean, could it be disingenuous to be so thankful when you're so upset? Now, I hope you were able to be thankful this year anyway. We do have so much to be grateful for, grateful to God for uh, in Jesus Christ. Uh, But the same type of irony is at work in the passage that we're looking at this morning in 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 9. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles with me. But the Apostle Paul, he is writing a, a letter and he opens up with a letter of thanksgiving to the church in Corinth. Now, this is a church that Paul is actually pretty upset with. He's going to go on to convict them in the letter for a a number of things. He's going to convict them for being divided with each other, for abusing the spiritual gifts of the Spirit, for tolerating sexual immorality in the church, for their arrogance and pride in disregarding the Apostle Paul, for taking each other to court, for insisting on their own freedoms, and for disregarding each other at the Lord's Supper. Gosh, if the year 2020 was a church, it would be the church in Corinth. There is just so many problems in this church. It's no, the church in Corinth is known as one of Paul's most problematic churches. So it doesn't seem like Paul would actually be that thankful for a church that's filled with so many problems. Yet Paul begins his letter this way. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. So no matter what's going on in this church, Paul has reason. Paul has reason to thank God for them because bottom line, they have received the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And because of that, there is tremendous hope for them and there is tremendous hope for all of us. So as we journey the season of Advent, and especially this morning, I want to focus on the theme of hope. How do, in Advent, how do we find the hope of Christ that we need to journey through this season? 
I'll give you a few points on that this morning. Number one, in Advent, we remember the grace we received at Jesus' first coming. We remember the grace we received at Jesus' first coming. Paul begins by saying in verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift. So as we journey through Advent, we thank God for his amazing grace. And we remember that we didn't deserve any of this. We didn't deserve Christ coming into the world. And if we thought, if we tried to earn it, we, we would absolutely fall short because of our sins. No, our sins separated us from a holy God. And without the gift of Jesus Christ, we would not have hope or mercy or reconciliation or eternal life. But God, friends, was pleased to send his son into an undeserving world so that we would be united to him forever. What grace God has lavished on you and I in Jesus Christ. But there's more than that. There's more than that because Paul goes on to say in verse 5, you've had the grace of God, but in verse 5, you were enriched in him in every way, in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. Now this speech and knowledge part, this is a reference to what Paul's going to go talk, uh, talk about later in the letter of the spiritual gifts these Corinthians have. This was a church that was known for the powerful spiritual gifts of prophecy and wisdom and teaching and tongues and the interpretation of tongues and more. And some of these were misused, uh, but Paul does not lose sight of the fact that these were gifts of God and meant to be celebrated and given thanks for. So they're not to be feared or rejected. They're part of the way that Jesus, by his Spirit, enriches us to live this life. So we should be incredibly grateful for these. And these gifts are for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ as we journey through this life. So friends, in other words, we have everything we need in Jesus to be the church that God wants us to be. We have everything we need in Jesus to be the kind of community that follows Jesus that God calls us to be. We have everything we need to build up others, everything we need to encourage and strengthen the body. And it's not just these spiritual gifts of speech and knowledge. Paul says we have been enriched in Christ in every way. Through Jesus, we have redemption, forgiveness, eternal life, access to God in prayer, and wisdom for our daily decisions. And these are all evidence of God's grace in our lives. You know, friends, we have lost a lot of things this year, a lot of things we're grieving But because you have Jesus Christ, let let me remind you this morning, you have been enriched in every way. And because of that, you have everything you truly need. There is nothing you lack. You have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ in the power of his spirit. So there is nothing you lack. You have all that you need. Which is why Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Things are hard, but we are not crushed. 
We won't despair or we, we will not be destroyed because in Jesus Christ, we have all that we need and more. So therefore, we are more than conquerors through Christ, through everything that comes our way. But even so, as we, as we journey through this life, we press on towards that day when we will finally see Jesus face to face, when he makes all things right. And that brings me to point number two. Number two, in Advent, we eagerly wait for Jesus to come again to redeem the world. We eagerly wait for Jesus to come again to redeem the world. Paul says in verse seven, as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the coming of Jesus into the world, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to heaven, this was never thought uh, by the early church as something that just kind of happened in the past, and yes, it was important, but it's just in the past. No, what happened in Jesus made a dramatic claim about the future of the world that we're living in right now. And this is something the early church never lost sight of. Let me just give you a few examples from Scripture. This is all over the New Testament. In Philippians 3.20, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.5, We eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. And in Romans 8, Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. See, there is an eagerness of expectation, of waiting for Jesus to come again that the early church had. You know, for Thanksgiving this year, uh, we were able to make some homemade bread using my grandma Hickox's famous recipe. And uh, we actually got to use yeast. I don't know how, how often you use yeast in your home, maybe more often than we typically do. Uh, but at first, when you mix all the, the, the bread and all the ingredients together, put the yeast in, you know, it's kind of flat. It almost seems like nothing's happening. Oh, but you just wait. Just you Wait. Given a little bit of time, that bread is certainly going to rise. And Jesus said his coming into the world was like yeast working through a batch of dough. It might start slowly. It might seem like nothing is changing right away. Oh, but just you wait. There is going to be a finished product at the end of this that is going to be so delicious, so exciting, you should be eagerly anticipating it. You see, the coming of Jesus was seen as the, the beginning of an irreversible process that culminates in the end of the world. History will end as we all know it. Kingdoms of this world will end as we know them. And the kingdom of Jesus will finally and fully be established in the earth. And it will be glorious. This is something that the early church anticipated. And now, of course, they did not see it in their lifetime, but they anticipated that too. They knew that the Lord's timing is different than our timing. But it's only a matter of time, friends. It's only a matter of time. And I believe the early church lived in such power because they had their sights set on this. There was an eager anticipation about Jesus returning. And a, a story that reminded me of this that, uh, uh, that happened to me recently, uh, my wife, Laura, if you don't know, uh, she's a nurse and she works in the ER at Elmhurst Hospital about a day a week. And I was with Daisy at home one day while Laura was working and we were waiting for her to come back. And I told Daisy that mommy's gonna come home soon. And uh, do you want to maybe surprise her and wait for her? Oh, she said, oh yeah, I can't, can't wait till mommy gets home. 
And so she was standing by the window and she was standing upon a chair so she could look, look for mommy to come home. And I said, okay, let me know when our red car pulls in the driveway and then we'll know that we can surprise mommy. Well, little did I know that uh, Laura was actually asked to stay at work a little bit later that day. So she was about a half an hour later than I expected. Now, half an hour is a long time for a toddler, uh, right? Uh, but you know what? Daisy never lost her eagerness. For about 45 minutes, we were by that window, Daisy standing on her tiptoes on the chair, looking out and asking me constantly, Daddy, when's mommy coming home? Daddy, is mommy coming home soon? Daddy, is she coming home soon? She is standing on her tiptoes with eagerness. And friends, that is a picture of how the church of Jesus Christ should anticipate the return of Jesus. We're standing on our tiptoes. We just, we're, we're rearing, we just can't wait until our Lord returns. You see, for Daisy, when her mommy came home, everything in her little world would be right because her mommy's presence brings happiness and joy and peace to her. And in the same way, when Jesus returns, everything will be right, not just for our own little world, world but the whole world. And in Jesus' presence, there will be so much peace. There will be so much joy. There will be so much goodness. I don't even think I can communicate it to you, but there is an eagerness because Jesus' presence is going to give us joy. And all shall be well. So we eagerly wait. Yes, we eagerly wait for Jesus to come again. And this helps us also to live now because in Advent, we live in light of Jesus' second coming. We live in the light of his second coming. Because of, this, uh, of his first coming, we now live with the idea that his second coming is in our sights. And I want to ask you this morning, is what is your finish line? What is the finish line that you are striving towards? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.8, he will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul says the day of our Lord Jesus. Now, in the Old Testament, there was this concept called the day of the Lord or the day of Yahweh. And this is the day that the Jews believed that God would come to judge the world, to make everything right, and to restore the people. And this gets theologically transformed in the New Testament. Instead of the day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh, it's the day of Jesus Christ. When he comes again to judge the world, to make all things right, to restore his people. As the creed says, we believe he will come again to judge the living and the dead. See, that's the true finish line of this world and of your life. But most of us, we get tripped up in living for the wrong finish line. You know, and we, this starts at a young age. It can start out so young. You know, oh, I, just, I just can't wait to get to high school, you know, so I can study things I want to study. Or, oh, high schoolers are so dumb. I can't wait till I go to college and get out of here. Or, oh, I can't wait till I can start my career and make, and make some money and pay off my debt. Or I can't wait till I get married and have a family. Or I can't wait till my kids aren't so little and I can have some more energy again. Or I, I can't wait until we're empty nesters again. Or I can't wait until I retire and I can enjoy my life. Or I can't wait until I get this degree or this job or I make this much money. And on and on and on it goes. And the finish line is always moving throughout your life. So you're never happy. You're never satisfied. You're never content, and you're missing out on the finish line. And you're focused on finish lines that only matter in this life. 
And there's only one finish line that will matter eternally. And I believe this applies to the pandemic as well. I don't know about you, but I I have found myself saying things like, I just can't wait until this whole thing is over. I just can't wait until things go back to normal. You know, and these are, I think, human feelings. It's okay to feel this. But I want to encourage you, friends, don't even make the end of COVID your finish line. You see, our finish line is not that, uh, that we're living in, in the light of this pandemic, uh, getting to the end of this pandemic. No, there is only one day, one finish line that will ultimately matter, and it's the day that you and I stand before Jesus Christ. That's the day that matters. You know, when I ran in the Chicago Marathon last year, there were lots of joyous spots on the course. You know, there was a couple spots where there was music playing, there was a band playing, there was just cool sights to see, so I enjoyed those. I especially liked when I got to the Gatorade part and I got to drink some Gatorade. Really enjoyed that. Or seeing Laura or the Carlsons on the sidelines. There were lots of good moments. Um, but there were also times on the course where I was mainly alone and my shoes were untied, my legs were hurting, and there were many times where it, w- it could have been really tempting to give up. Uh, to throw in the towel. But you know what? I had a finish line in sight. Now, I, I, I imagine if I had set the finish line at mile 15, I just would have stopped at mile 15. If, if it was mile five, I would have stopped at mile five. No, but because I said my finish line is 26.2, I'm going to go all the way until I cross. In fact, when I get closer to the end, I'm going to give all I have to strive towards the end so I can cross that line as best as I can. Friends, your finish line in life is the day that you stand before Jesus Christ. So don't change the finish line that God gave you. Your finish line is as long as God gives you breath in your lungs or until Jesus comes back. So keep going. Keep running. Keep serving, keep loving, keep praying, keep discipling, keep going, and do it all in the light of that final day. And until then, that brings me to point number four. In Advent, we trust that God will strengthen us to endure to the end. We trust that God will strengthen us to endure to the end. In verse eight, Paul says, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So brothers and sisters, remember this morning, you're not running alone. God is gonna keep you firm to the end and things may feel unmanageable right now, but beloved, don't give up. God is with you and he will sustain you until the end. So friends, let me tell you this morning, you're going to make it. You're going to endure. You will persevere, and in and through Jesus, you are going to get through this. We're going to get through this. We're going to make it through COVID. We're going to make it until Jesus comes back. We're going to make it until we have uh, our last breath in our lungs. You're going to make it to the end. Why? Because God is faithful. He is faithful to you. And he has called you into the fellowship of his son. And when there is a calling, God is going to equip you until the end. So we can be confident that God will see us through. So as Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, Jesus is the one who will strengthen you 
and give you endurance to the end. And as Jesus reminded his disciples, he said, I am the vine and you are, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. But if we don't abide in him, Jesus says, we wither away and we'll be thrown into the fire. We won't make it to the end if we don't abide and remain in Jesus. So if you hope to make it to the finish line, to stand before Jesus, we need to lean upon his sustenance, his strength, and trust in him to continue to bear fruit in our lives. And this is what God is calling, calling us to. We are called into fellowship with his son to an abiding, life-giving, fruit-producing, strength-imparting, God-glorifying relationship with Jesus. As Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So we're at, we're, we are called to this intimate, personal relationship with Jesus where we receive the strength we need. But often, as we said at the beginning of this sermon, that we receive from the Holy Spirit gifts. We've been enriched through Christ to strengthen up the body of Christ. And now there's a little debate in the commentary about this particular verse where it says God's called us into fellowship with his son. Now is this the the fellowship of believers with his son or a personal one-to-one fellowship with Jesus? And I think this kind of dividing of thought uh, is foreign to the teaching of, of the New Testament. In fact, biblical scholar Richard Hayes says this, in Paul's understandings, these two realities are inseparable. To be in Christ is to be in the fellowship of the church. The community's calling is not just to perform uh, 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 a mission or obey certain norms. Rather, the community is finally called into a relationship of intimate mutuality with one another in Christ. This is one of the most distinctive aspects of the early Christian movement. To, to participate in the church was to find oneself summoned to close and even sacrificial relationships with others. So I'm saying all of this to say, yes, in your alone time with God, receive strength. But also, you're going to receive the strength that you need from your fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. So church, be in fellowship with each other. Be the body of Christ. As I tell you every week, be the church. Be the initiator. Reach out to others. Do the encouraging. Organize the Zoom call. Write the note. Send the text. Make the phone call. Do what you need to do to not, to not only receive the Christian community that you need for your own soul, but also to give others what they need. They are depending upon you and your initiation, and your effort, and your love. We all need each other in this time. So friends, in Advent, be reminded that we look back at the grace that we received at Jesus' first coming. We long for Jesus to come again to redeem the world. We live in the light of his second coming, and we lean on Jesus' strength to endure to the end. And these truths give us hope. So friends, this series and this season, I want you to take seriously the idea that all I want for Christmas is Jesus. Is that what you really want? Because that is what we truly need. And I find it so fascinating that in the first 10 verses of 1 Corinthians, Paul mentions Jesus' name nine times. And he also says Lord and Christ. So he refers to Jesus 11 times 
in the first 10 verses of 1 Corinthians, nine times by name directly. So Paul, he's obsessed with Jesus. I mean, this is the man who went from persecuting Christians to saying to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, Paul had somehow grasped how amazing, how awesome, and how great Jesus really is. And my prayer for you and for us is that in this season, we would be reminded and grasped in an even greater way how great, how glorious, and magnificent Jesus Christ really is. And may, and may your prayer be, all I want for Christmas is Jesus. And may that fill you with hope. So let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your hope, your grace, your mercy. God, thank you for the sending of your son. And as, as we begin this Advent season, Lord, we're just calling out and we're crying out that all we want is Jesus Christ, a closer walk with Jesus, a further knowledge of him. Lord, we know that to live is Christ. To live is to know Jesus. That's where we find eternal and abundant life. So God, in, would you impart to us this season a greater revelation, a greater understanding, a more in-depth walk in trust in Jesus. And Lord, when we have all of the competing desires of our hearts, all of the idols of our culture, all of the, the lies that compete for our attention and our affection, God, we just, we want to get rid of those and repent of those and to say, you alone, Jesus, you are our first love and our only love. Lord, if we, if we have you, there is, there is nothing that we desire upon the earth. Even as advertisements tell us all kinds of things, Lord, we know that you alone are what our hearts truly desire. And God, I pray that you would put in each of our hearts uh, a fascination, an obsession with Jesus, that we would be like Paul where, where the name of Jesus, the beautiful name of Jesus would just be on our lips and on the tips of our tongues with our families and with our friends. And Lord, give us a, a passion to share Jesus with our, with our families, with our neighbors, with our, our friends and our community. Give us opportunities this, this season to share the gospel Give us opportunities to share Jesus with others. Lord, we pray that you would use the, the Christmas theater unto that end, our services, all that we're doing as a church. God, would you use it to share Jesus with people? Help us to proclaim his glory and his goodness and help us to be rooted in him through this season and all the ups and downs. May our roots go down deep in Christ. God, continue to watch over our church and bless us. Bring healing and peace to everyone in need and all those struggling and grieving during this holiday season. We ask that your comfort would go forth. Lord, not only through your power, but also through the hands and feet of this church. Empower us to be the body of Christ you've called us to be. Thank you that we have everything that we need to do that. Thank you that you have so gifted us and enriched us in every way that we can be the kind of church you've called us to be. May your blessing be upon us in all the work of our hands. And let's pray the prayer together that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. 
by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.